0: Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. I would like to say a very hearty and robust Merry Christmas to you, okay? Now, the reason I have to emphasize that is because after I read our text for this morning, you are going to think that I did not, was not aware that it was Christmas. And so, I want you to know that I am. I, I fully know it's Christmas. And because it is Christmas, we are going to look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16 is going to be our focus passage so turn there. If you'll remember uh, we're in a, a short series called the Coming of the King okay the coming of the king and I know that normally on uh, Christmas Sunday you would expect some uh, shepherds, um, maybe some wise men, uh, some a manger, some animals right't do we, we do have horses today so okay? But uh, none none of the usual things you would expect on Christmas Sunday. Um, But remember that the the short series we're in is called The Coming of the King, okay? So last week, we saw the king coming out of heaven into humanity, God becoming man. Today, we're seeing the king coming in glory, okay? So Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, bear with me. I think you'll, you'll see this all come together, okay? Beginning in verse 11. Father we thank you Jesus for uh, being who you are. God, we we worship you today. God, we worship you as as the the suffering servant that we saw last week as as the God who became man and humbled himself that he might he might identify and pay the price for our sins. But Lord, we also worship you as the king of glory, as the victorious general leading the armies of heaven. And Father, I pray that you would you would help us to see See Jesus in all of his glory today. Father, please, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our our hearts. Let us see, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. My family was in uh, Tulsa this past week for a couple days. We were there because Haddon had some medical testing uh, that he had to finish up, uh, three tests. So basically most of one day was spent in medical testing. And so we went a little early and did some fun stuff, um, did some museums and things. But then while he was actually having his tests, there really wasn't anything for me and the girls to do. And so what we decided to do is we took a little church tour, okay? Okay. there's a bunch of historic churches in downtown Tulsa, kind of a church square, uh, old buildings, giant cathedrals, and so we would just try to get into them. You know, we just kind of go see what doors were locked, and we finally would get in. and Our favorite was uh, the Catholic church, actually. Our favorite just to be in, man, just this incredible building. Uh, had these high arched, uh, arched ceilings, kind of divided into three different sections with pillars going down all the one side, stained glass all the way around the whole top portion and then around the middle portion as well. Um, Just a huge pipe organ in the back and just ornate carvings all over. Just just a magnificent building. In fact, as we were leaving, Avery, my eight-year-old, leaned over to me and she said, Dad, wouldn't it be great if you pastored this church? And I said, well, honey, it would be, but I'd have to get rid of your mom and you guys because I'd have to be a celibate priest to do that, you know? So she didn't think it was as great after that. But, uh, But just a magnificent building. And one of the things that, that we thought was kind of cool. I asked a whole bunch of questions the guys that were kind of showing us around. And, and one of these I thought was cool is they had certain stations. I don't know if that's what they call them, but but kind of stations all around their auditorium. Okay, so let's just picture we start over here, and it would be like the birth of Jesus. It was a carving, kind of a like about this big, like that. It was a carving of the birth of Jesus, and then there'd be like a stained glass, and then there'd be another one of those, maybe like on the early life of Jesus, maybe like him him living with his mom and dad in the carpenter shop or whatever you know. And then there'd be a stained glass, and there'd be another one, maybe on his baptism and then like on his miracles and on his teaching and on, you know, the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, basically the, the life of Jesus. Are you kind of following me? And, and so the point of this was that you could kind of have a mini pilgrimage. You could come in during the week and you could come and stand before the one uh, that was his birth and think about how Jesus became man and how he how he came down from heaven and, and put on humanity. And then you go to the next one and you think about maybe his baptism and how, how he identified with us in baptism. You go to his, you know, you know all the way down, kind of a meditation meditation. Um, And I said, well, how much do people actually do that? And he said, well, not very much, you know. I mean, that's what it's for, but people don't do that very much. Well, here's the thing that I started thinking about. I I started wondering, are Catholics anything like Baptists, okay? and And I don't really know the answer to that. But if they are, they sit in the same spot every Sunday, right? I mean, wouldn't that be true? You know, I don't, I, surely they probably are. And so I'm, I'm picturing that everybody sits in the same, I mean, that's true of us, right? I mean, Lloyd's been sitting there since he came, you know, since I've been here. I mean, right there, and you know, the cases are always right there, and Coonfield's always back there, you know, and uh, Tuckers are usually right there. Yeah, you, you know when people are missing, you know, because of that, you know, it's like, you know, because everybody usually sits in the same spot. So here's what I'm thinking. You know, if you, if you were in this big Catholic church, you really can't hardly see across the other side. So so you would, if you sit in the same place every Sunday, you would just have kind of one glimpse of Jesus, right? I mean, because because if you didn't do the whole pilgrimage thing, if you just came and sat down. So I'm picturing some people, you know, they sit by the, the the birth picture, you know, and so they think a lot about Jesus coming, you know, they got that all memorized. Some people sit by the cross, and so, you know, they're always just thinking about the cross, you know. And and so I, I picture kind of people have a one-dimensional view of Jesus. It could happen, okay? It could happen. I think it happens with us. I think there's people in in our society that have a one-dimensional view of Jesus. I think if you would ask people, what do you know about Jesus? Many of them would not have a broad range of what they know about Jesus. They would have kind of one slice, you know? I, I think Christmas... Actually, the Christmas story would be a story that a lot of people would know. They would know that about Jesus. If you ask them, what do you know about Jesus? They would say, well, he was born in Bethlehem. His mother's name was Mary. and His father's name was Joseph. He's born of a virgin. Um, Wise men came. Shepherds came. You know, they, they would know those facts about the birth narrative. But I wonder, would they know the rest of the story of Jesus? In other words, when they think of Jesus, would they think of a baby? You, know, you ever thought about that? You know, in some people's minds, if you don't know the whole scope of Jesus' ministry, if you don't know all that Jesus is, I wonder if you have a one-dimensional view of Jesus, and you might just think of one part of him, you know? So, so there may be people out there that just think of Jesus in the sense of a harmless baby. Now, that's good in some ways because it emphasizes the humanity, the, 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 uh, the coming downness, the, the humbling himself nature of Jesus Christ. It's kind of bad in the sense that babies are pretty harmless, you know? I mean, how many times does a baby enter the room and everybody, ooh, you know, whoa, you know, or how many times do people listen to what babies say, you know? The, the baby wants to go somewhere for dinner, and that's where you go. Some of you probably that's the case, you know, unfortunately, but you know, I mean, in other words, a baby does not carry a lot of authority, right? A lot of, uh, they don't strike fear into rebels and sinners, and so what we gotta realize is that the nativity is not the only picture of Jesus in the Bible. The baby, the Christ child grows up, and he teaches like no man ever taught, and he heals the sick and raises the dead and commands the weather and dies for our sins and rises from the dead and ascends into heaven. And one of the last pictures of Jesus that we see is a prophetic picture. Now, what do I mean by prophetic picture? It means it hadn't happened yet, okay? So what we're about to look at in Revelation 19 has not happened yet, okay? But it will happen. Now, let me let me encourage you. Just because it's a prophetic picture does not mean it's any less of an accurate picture, okay? Let me remind you that for thousands of years before Jesus came, okay? In the days of Abraham, the days of Moses, the days of, of, of Daniel, the days of Hezekiah, all, all those Old Testament characters, they were looking forward to what we now celebrate as Christmas, right? The king coming, the king uh, of kings coming down to earth. They looked forward. They didn't know exactly what it was gonna look like, but they knew certain facts about it, and they were looking forward to that prophetic picture. It's already happened. We We have that as history, okay? But there's one yet to happen, and that is the one we find here in Revelation, uh, specifically in the chapter nineteen now there 's two comings of christ right the 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 series that we're, we're uh um... On is called the coming of the king. Okay, He came the first time, which was Christmas, when God stepped out of the heavens into human flesh, was born of a woman, was born of a virgin, was 100% man, 100% God, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, and rose from the dead. Okay, That's the story of the gospel. Okay, That is his first coming. Friends, his first coming was marked by humility. It was marked by suffering. It was marked by sacrifice. It was marked by turning the other cheek. Okay, The second coming of Jesus will be a very different coming, okay? It will be marked by victory, by glory, by triumph, by judgment. And so what I'd like for us to do, and we're going to compare back and forth throughout this this message, is I want us to look at this picture of Jesus, okay? I don't want us to be a people that come and sit in the same spot every week and see only a one-dimensional view of Jesus. I want you to see Jesus in all of his glory, okay? And that means looking at passages like Revelation 19. And so let's let's first of all look at it real quick. We're just going to kind of walk through a uh, look at some of the images that were given here, and then we're gonna make six points okay, short ones, six short points about why this is important. Why why should we look at this picture of Jesus Christ, all right? The scene opens in verse 11 where heavens are open and behold a white horse. Jesus is riding a white horse, leading an army of white horses. Now, I want you to remember how Jesus came into Jerusalem. How did he come into Jerusalem? You remember that? When he came into Jerusalem to die, uh, to to be scourged and whipped and crucified, he came in riding a Donkey, right? Okay? A donkey is a sign of, of timidity, a sign of, of peacefulness, okay? You seldom see generals riding donkeys in the battle, okay? Probably sometime there, there was that. But, you know, when we think of a battle, many of you saw Lord of the Rings, okay? When you think of Rohan, you know, the horse people, as they're riding in the battle, you know, the king's not on a donkey, you know? He's on a white stallion. Remember that scene, you know, of them all charging and the king on the... That, that's what you need to picture here. The The point the scriptures are making to us is that Jesus is... Is coming in victory in power in holiness in purity he's coming for war okay and it says here the first of many names that we get from jesus here in this passage it says the one riding on it is called faithful and true faithful and true that's jesus jesus is faithful and true you know what? That, that, that's part of faith. Part of faith is simply this. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. That Jesus is faithful and true. A lot of people never get beyond that. You know, when the Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life and he's the fountain of living waters, that he is the thing that satisfies our soul, you know what a lot of folks do? Nah, I don't think so. I think think this is going to satisfy my soul, not Jesus. You, You see, faith is believing that Jesus is this, that he is the one who is faithful and true. He is the one who keeps his word. He is the one who is truth from beginning to end. The next thing it tells us about him is that in righteousness, this is verse 11, in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now that's a little different, isn't it? You're not used to seeing that particular slice of Jesus' character Uh, preached a whole lot, maybe some, but not a whole lot. Most of the time, what do we emphasize? Most of the time, we emphasize the grace of Jesus Christ. Most of the time, we emphasize the love of Jesus, right? Most of the time, we emphasize the patience and and the mercy of Jesus, and and we do that for a very good reason. We all stand in that, right? I mean, especially if you're a believer here today, we are saved by grace. We're saved by the mercy of Jesus, him him reaching down out of heaven and, and showing mercy and grace and love upon us, and so it's good that we emphasize that, But it's bad if we don't also balance that with things like justice and holiness and wrath because those are also characteristics of Jesus Christ that should be worshiped and should be celebrated. You know, it's real easy to worship the grace of Jesus. In fact, let, let let me just use this illustration. How many of you have ever been speeding, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, someone thought you were speeding, but you were actually speeding. You got picked up. And somehow you batted your eyes or you looked all pitiful or whatever, and you got out of it, okay? The, 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 the highway patrolman, the policeman showed grace upon you. Raise your hand if that has happened to you, okay? So we've got some here that have been given grace, okay? And you know, as that highway patrolman got back in his car and you took off again... Putting your blinker on real careful, following all the rules, you know. You know what you were doing? You were singing that guy's praise, weren't you? You were man, that's a good officer. That's a good man there. I'm sure glad we've got people like him on the force, you know. You you were why? Because he'd given you grace. And you were celebrating, you were you you were magnifying that the fact that you deserved a ticket, you deserved a fine, and you got grace, you know? You deserved your insurance to go up, and it's not gonna go up. And you're really filled with joy over the grace. Okay? And and that's a good thing. Uh, That's not a bad thing at all. But what I'm also telling you is that there are also times where we ought to praise the policeman who arrested the child molester and threw him in jail. That that guy's good too, isn't he? We ought to praise the policeman who arrested and and sought after and and captured the murderer or the rapist and put that guy in jail so that he's not out on the streets anymore. You know what? That guy, that policeman's good too, isn't he? I I mean, I'm thankful for those guys as well. Because there's something good about justice, isn't there? something good about holiness and about honor and we shouldn't be one-dimensional in only insisting that Jesus is just gracious gracious that he is just merciful he is righteous and he will judge and make war now now the cool thing about that is there's a lot of people who judge in this world there's a lot of fingers in there how, how many of you had one of these pointed at you right you know I mean there's a lot of people doing that you know what, sometimes it's just not fair at all, is it? There's a lot of people who judge unrighteously, who condemn unrighteously in our world today. But here's the deal about Jesus. Jesus will judge righteously, righteously. In other words, he always gets it right. I mean, There's something good about that, isn't there? There's something good knowing that, that we serve a God who will make wrong every right. That sin will be will be abolished and punished one day. I mean, that's a good thing, especially if you're like us, if you're a believer here today, who are in Christ, okay? But 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 it's a good thing to love justice. Before the 830 service, I was, it was about 8:15 this morning. I was getting ready to come in and preach at the 8:30 service, had one of our widow ladies come in and say, Pastor, I'm not gonna be able to be here today. You know, she was here, she was helping with the food distribution to the prison. She said, I'm not gonna be able to be here today because I I've gotten robbed and I've got to go make a a police report. Someone had uh, gotten in and stolen a bunch of of her things. And, and, And you know what? There's something in me that cries out, man, and I actually prayed for it, Man, I, I want that guy to get caught. I want, I want her to get her things back, you know? I mean, someone of them were really valuable to her. And she she was quick to say, you know, pastor, if I don't get them back, that's fine. You know, God will take care of me, you know, but I just need to go do this. And, and you know what? There's something in me that loves justice. Is there something in you that loves justice that says, you know what? You know, I, I do love the grace of Jesus, but, but I also love knowing that he is one who will judge righteously. Who will judge righteously. And he makes no mistake. Our, our 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 judgment system in this world makes mistakes, doesn't it? I mean, there's people on death row that ought to be out walking the streets. And there's people that are walking the streets that ought to be on death row. You know why? Because we don't judge righteously. We don't judge perfectly, but we don't have to worry about that with Jesus Christ because the Bible says that vengeance is his. He will judge righteously, but not only righteously, but it says he judges and makes war. Now, now, that's an unusual term for Jesus, isn't it? To, to, to know that Jesus is gonna make war. He's gonna make war on those who've rejected him, on those who've rejected his salvation, on those who have sinned against God and said, I don't care that you provided for it. I don't care that you died on the cross for me. I'm not interested in that. I'm gonna do my own thing. I don't wanna be with you. I don't wanna be in your kingdom. I don't wanna obey your kingdom's laws. It says that Jesus will make war against those people. That's a scary thing for me. I don't know about you guys. Some of you have probably been to war. I bet well, there's people in this room that have actually been in a war. You've actually had people trying to kill you. I, I, I've never had that experience, but, but, I, but I imagine it's a disturbing thing, you know? E- even if it's not somebody, you know, huge. I mean, even if it's not a country like China or Russia, what if it's just the town of Fargo, you know? What if the town of Fargo has made war on you, you know? Now, there's not very many people in Fargo. It's not a country. It's not a state. It's, it's barely a town. But you know what? If all of Fargo is at war with me, that's a disturbing thing. Because you know what I know? Every guy in Fargo owns a gun. You know, it's Northwest Oklahoma. It's just he does. You know, and so yeah, I, there's got to be 30 or 40 of them. That that scares me. You know, I mean, when I when I think about the the, the city of Fargo at war with me, man, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to keep my family. I'm going to protect them. Haden and I, we're going to get the 22 out and the and the 20 gauge. You know, I mean, I mean for real. I mean, we're we're, we're going to be disturbed. Okay, but but the picture we have in Revelation. 19 is that Jesus is making war on those who've rejected him. That's a serious thing. You can't get away from that. How do you run from that? Where would you run? Where would you go? There's no place to go. And In fact, verse 12 describes him here in verse 12. It says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. A flame of fire. What does that mean? All seeing, all knowing. When he looks at you, man, there's fear that's struck into you. But by the Son of God, coming out of the heavens, riding a white horse, eyes of with, ablaze with fire. My, my dad used to say that when, whenever he would make my mom mad, that she would look at him and there would be laser beams. He would always say that. Your mom lasered me, you know. That's like, like I look, I personally don't know what he's talking about because my wife has always only looked at me with gentleness and kindness, okay. Some of you guys, though, you know, you know, that man, your wife looks at you, man, you know, you know, it's there it is. Okay, the picture here is of Jesus, all right, his eyes are ablaze. Blaze with fire. Okay? He knows. He sees. You can't get away from his gaze. Look on verse 12, it says, On his head are many diadems. This this picture of glory and of value and of riches. Verse 12 says, He has a name written that no one knows but himself. Isn't that interesting? The verse 12 tells us that. He has a name no one knows but himself. It's interesting because all right, it's not saying that nobody knows his name because look here in verse, in verse 11, it says his name is faithful and true. And in verse 13, it says he's called the word of God. And in verse 16, it says on his thigh, he has a name written, king of kings and Lord of lords. That's four names, isn't it? Just in this little passage. But yet verse 12 says he has a name that nobody knows but himself. Now, now, why does it say that? Well, this is really cool about Jesus. You've heard me say this before. One of the most exciting things about Jesus is his glory is in comprehensible. His glory is, is inexhaust. I mean, you never get to the end of it, okay? You never get to the end of it. Everything else in life, you get to the end of, right? Everything else in life, you get bored of, right? No matter what amusement park you go to or vacation spot you get, pretty much you've seen it all, right? You've experienced it all. You never get all of Jesus. He is so glorious and so mighty and so magnificent. His character is so big that you never get all of Jesus. For the saints here today, Let me tell you, you will spend a million years in heaven every day experiencing more of Jesus than the day before, and you will never, ever get to the end of him. Isn't that awesome? He has a name that no one knows but himself. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, it says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus is talking, and he says, And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is saying, Only God knows all there is to know about jesus he he we can't get our minds around how glorious and good he is wow god help us to see that look in verse 13 it describes his clothing says he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood now now i don't know about you but when i when i hear that my first image my first picture is of the blood of the cross right jesus own blood Being shed. I mean, that's what I think of. And and there's good reason for that. I mean, everywhere we look in the New Testament, it emphasizes that that the blood of Jesus was spilt for us. He died. He gave his life to pay for my sins. He died in my place that I might have his righteousness, that he might take my sins away in in communion. Here last week or the week before, we we observed communion. and, and, And we do it every month, and we do it so that we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. And so there's good reason when it says he has a robe dipped in blood that we would say, well, that's, the, that's his own blood. There's another interpretation, though, that I want you to think about, okay? Now, now, this is graphic. I'm sorry, but I don't know why I'm apologizing. That's the Bible. I guess take it up with God. But verse 17, listen, what happens when Jesus comes in Revelation 19? Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds of the air, that fly directly overhead come and gather for the great supper of God. Now this is probably not the supper that you are used to hearing about. To eat the flesh of kings, to eat the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men both free and slave, both small and great. It's this picture of devastation of of Jesus pouring out his wrath upon all of mankind that resists him. Now, the reason I think maybe that's the blood he's talking about is because in Isaiah chapter 63, just remember, thousands, not a thousand, maybe 800 years before John wrote what he wrote here, here's what Isaiah says. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the wine press? Okay, remember in Revelation, uh, our, our, our passage Verse 15 says, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So this passage says, Why is your apparel red, your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. I can't tell you definitively, you can make up your own mind, whether it's Jesus' own blood or whether it's the blood of his enemies, but it seems to me that it's the blood of his enemies. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. This is not an uncommon uh, picture in the Bible. Lots of places describe the word of God as a sword, okay? I, I want you just to, to affirm with me today as we read our Bibles, what the Bible is clear about is that the word of God is the most powerful force in the universe, how, how, were the, how were the heavens created? How 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 was all that is created created? It was created by the Word of God, the spoken word of God. You know, Jesus uses it in in, in his ministry. You know, Lazarus, come forth. And this dead guy has been in the grave four days, walks out. I mean, that's the word of God, okay? And, and Ephesians 6.17 tells us the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And in Hebrews 4:12 says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to soul and spirit, cutting away bone and marrow. It talks about it, it's shaping us and, and shaping our own hearts, okay? But in this context, the word of God is that which destroys the nations that have gathered against the king. It destroys them. It is Jesus' spoken word that annihilates his enemies. I want you to notice, it says he will rule with a rod of iron he'll rule and have his way with the nations. It says it's written upon him, king of King and lord of lords. He is lord forever. Friends, there will be a day when there's no more democracy, you know? We all love living in America. You know why? Cuz we get to vote, right? We get a vote and the person we vote for always wins. That's why we love living in America, you know? It's because we we get a say and we have senators and representatives and a president. We we get to vote all those people in. There will come a day when you will not vote. Okay? There'll come a day when you know you won't get a pick between Barack, you know, Newt, and Jesus, you know? vote which one you want you don't get a pick there's going to come a day when Jesus will be clearly king of kings and lord of lords that day is coming soon and friends notice that he is accompanied in his glory coming on the white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth his word slaying the nations okay his robe dipped in blood and then it says there's an army that is with him verse 14 and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses now who is this again you you know, there's a little bit of controversy we're not quite sure there are some passages that would seem to indicate is the angels okay let me read you one of those. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Did you hear that? When he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's the same circumstances. Jesus is coming ablaze with fire he's inflicting vengeance on those who don't don't love him don't love the gospel and notice it says he's coming with his mighty angels so we might say well that settles it it's his angels well in revelation chapter 17 verse 14 it says they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful let me ask you in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it says, when it talks about the chosen and faithful, who's it talking about? It's talking about the saints. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So there's several passages that would seem to say the army is believers, the army's gonna be us, you know? We're gonna be raptured out, or those who, are, who are, have already died, they'll, they'll be raised, the Bible tells us that. In First Thessalonians, they'll receive new bodies, and we will come with Jesus in this triumphant victory. Okay, and then there's some that say it's the angels. Here's my personal opinion. I think it's both. I think there's clear evidence that both angels and saints will be present. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think heaven is going to empty out. Okay, I don't think there's anybody left to keep shop. All right, I don't think anybody's going to be back. You know, running the hot dog stand in heaven. I think everybody is going to join the victorious King as he comes to reign, as he comes to annihilate his enemies, as he comes to judge righteously and purely, and as he comes to set up the new heavens and the new earth. I think. will be all of us and there's something really cool about that to me okay now, I, I don't know about some of you some of you may not care anything about that but i just think i'm not much of a horse rider okay but i think god's going to give grace on that day and i just think there's something spectacular about riding in with jesus christ in the new heavens in the new earth in a place where there will not be sin in a place where there won't be sin in me and we won't have that struggle and all things will be as god intended them to be that is a glorious picture to me i think he's bringing everybody. Now, why is this important? Okay, we've, we've looked at it. We, we've looked at the, this picture of Jesus and his glory. Why is this important? Six reasons. Number one, because God is who he is and not who you want him to be. You see, there's a real dangerous thing in America, and we kind of do this with lots of stuff, but we think we can do it with God. We, we think we can go ahead and order which God that we want. You know, We can just come up to our fast food church, and we can say, you know what? I would like Jesus, and I would like him with extra grace, and uh, uh, please put a lot of mercy on there. Hold the wrath and hold the holiness. You know? No holiness. Get that holiness away. Get off the plate, dude. You know? uh, we, we can't do that. We can't order our Jesus, but you find people doing that all the time. You know, I've had people tell me, my Jesus doesn't believe in hell. I'm like, really? You know, my Jesus, you know, doesn't care if we sin. My Jesus just accepts everybody and he accepts me however I am and he doesn't want to change me. And the only thing I can figure out is they're talking about Jesus, that welder in the old patch. Have you met him? I think that's who they're talking about because that's not the Jesus of the Bible, okay? I, I don't know who that is, and I guess it's whoever you want it to be, but, but it's not who the Bible reveals. You can't just make your own God. You know, the, the, the first two commandments, Thou shalt have no other God before me. What's the second one? Thou shalt not make for yourself a graven image. What, what does that mean? That, that means you shouldn't say, you shouldn't build you something and say, this is my God. I mean, you shouldn't do that. You, 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 you know, it's not that you shouldn't make another God. It's that you shouldn't take something and say, there he is. That's my God that delivered me out of, uh, out of Egypt, and that, that's my Savior. And see, here's what he wants from me. He says, everybody should do what I say. I mean, you, you shouldn't do that. That, that. That's not a God, it's a music stand. And in the same way, you shouldn't make up your own God. You, you, you should let the Bible tell you who God is. I, I hear people all the time telling me, you know, well, I'll take Jesus, but I don't want the church. You know, my Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't care about the church. Well, who's the church? The church is the bride of Christ. Can, can we do that? I mean, is that, is that, can, can you do that in any other area of life? Can you tell Jesus you want him but not his wife? You know, can, can, I, can I call up Fred Martin and say, hey, Fred, man, come over, come over for supper. You know, we'd love to have you over. Don't bring Karen, though. We don't want her. Does that work? Does it work? <clears throat> if it works, Fred is in serious need of help. <laughs> it doesn't work. And you can't do that with Jesus either. You can't, you got, you got, he is who he is, okay? Number two, if you don't know the wrath that's coming, then you will not appropriately value your salvation. Many of us in this room would say, I'm saved, okay? Some, some of you may not. But but some of you in this room would say, I've come to a point in my life, I've turned away from my sin, I've put my faith in Christ, and I'm saved. Okay, saved from what? You, you, see, you see, there's being saved from small things and being saved from medium things and being saved from big things, right? And, and your excitement level depends on what you've been saved from, Okay. Being being saved from a chihuahua is a small thing, okay? Being saved from a tiger, that's a big thing, right? Those those are two different degrees of saved, okay? The one, your your ankles are unscathed. The other, you're still alive, okay, right? Being, being, Being saved from a cold is different than being saved from cancer. Being saved from a hangnail is different than being saved from hanging off the Empire State Building, okay? There's different degrees of saved. What are you saved from? My friends, you're saved from the wrath of God. You're saved from your sins, yes. You're saved from living a a wasted life, yes. You're saved from, from an eternity of hell in the conscious torment with no hope of whatsoever things getting any better. I mean, we're saved from the wrath of God. And when you realize that, it makes your salvation all the sweeter. Numbers three, seeing the glory of Jesus makes Christmas all that more spectacular. And by Christmas, I mean his incarnation. I mean, what we looked at last week, God becoming man. You know, the humility of Jesus, the, the fact that Jesus allowed them to scourge him, the fact that, that, he, that he, didn't, he didn't get away, you know, the fact that he didn't run, the fact that, that, he, that he allowed them to nail him to a cross, and then he hung there for six hours while they mocked him and spat upon him, that fact becomes all the more glorious when you see who Jesus is and always has been. You see, I think a lot of guys, especially maybe men, they think of Jesus in kind of this mamby-pamby way. You know, like he he was the kid in junior high that always got beat up but he took it real well because he couldn't do anything else, you know. I mean, he wasn't strong enough or big enough and so he just tried to make the best of it. A lot of people look at Jesus that way. Friends, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the reigning king of heaven. He he is the the rider on the white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth that can annihilate the universe with his word. That Jesus allowed Roman soldiers to spit on him and press a crown of thorns on his head to demonstrate to you the glory of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. Didn't that make it better? Doesn't that make it more awesome, realizing the glory of Jesus? Number four, seeing Jesus as king causes you to take him seriously. Let me just ask you to think for a moment. Do you, do you take Jesus seriously? You know, I mean, seriously. Like, like there's gravity. You know, and, and the only way I know how to really judge that is how do you respond to his word? You know? You know, have you ever watched fathers and kids? You can tell a lot about that dynamic About when the father speaks, what do the kids do? You know? If there's a whole lot of eye rolling, sometimes they just spin. You know? If there's a whole lot of blowing them off, if there's ignoring. I saw a kid the other day. His dad was like, hey, come back, come back. Kids like this. You can tell a lot about that, can't you? About how? What, what that what that kid thinks of his dad. Let, let me ask you, what do you think of your heavenly father? What do you think of Jesus? Do you take him seriously? My dad was a good man. He's a good man. He's a gracious man. Many he, he's good to us, he's still good to us. He's good to me to this day. But when I was in church and there were funny things that would happen, like we had this lady that sang horribly, and my brother and I would get to giggling. And my dad would look over, and he would do this. And my brother and I would be silent. You know why? My dad was a dad of grace. He was also a dad of wrath. Explosive wrath. Not like in an uncontrolled, abusive way, but in a, you cross the line. It's coming. Um, you ought not trifle with Jesus. You just shouldn't. Most people in the world are. Most people in the world treat Jesus like he's some mamby-pamby. I can push him around, do whatever I want. That'd be fine. I don't think it will be fine. Got a quote quick here. Number five, seeing his wrath makes being outside of his salvation a terrifying prospect. I can't imagine being on the other side of that. Number six, Jesus will accomplish his purposes. I think that's what this teaches us. You know what? It's gonna be done, guys. There's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Those who, who reject Jesus will be cast away forever and ever. Those who are his will live in a sinless place forever and ever. It's gonna happen. You, you, can't, you can't stop this. <laughs> you can't stop it. I know this is a hard passage, I know these are hard truths. We, 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 we like the baby better. Don't we like the baby better, you know? Uh, I mean, by nature, we, this, is, this is it's a lot more tame. I mean, we can just ooh and ah, you know? And, and that's a great picture. I mean, we looked at it last week. That's incredible. That God would become man for us. But, but the other side of the story is the king's coming. Now, here's my Christmas present to you. I'm going to end on a real positive note, okay? we're not going to end with the supper of of the birds eating the flesh of of the enemies of Christ. We we're, we're going to look at another supper. Same chapter. Really fascinating. I don't know if you've ever read Revelation 19. There's two suppers in Revelation 19, right? Now listen to this one, okay? Are you ready? Verse 6. Here we go. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Some of you have been to a stadium before, an NFL game or a, a Sooner game or a Cowboy game, where, where 50 60,000 people erupt, you know, all at once in this, this eruption of celebration and, and just the roar that it is. Okay, imagine that time a million, a times 10 million, okay? Because what we find here in verse 6 is every believer that's ever lived, from Adam to Seth to Noah to Moses to Abraham to uh, all the saints and the prophets in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph and Peter and Paul and and Thomas and Bartholomew and and all the way down through church history to Augustine and Calvin and Luther and, and all of those guys and all of us gathered around the throne just exploding in hallelujah for the Lord our God reigns. And then in verse seven, it says, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. This is all the saints gathered around the throne of God. And, and Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And notice how it describes the bride. It says in his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It's been 20 years, over 20 years. I can still vividly close my mind and I can picture, Emma Dirks coming around the corner in First Baptist Scott City wearing that white wedding dress. Wow! I mean, it was stunning. It was, you had to be there. Kale, you were there. You were like four. Do you remember it? I mean, it was incredible, you know? I mean, Emma's coming down the aisle. He's probably eating animal crackers or some stupid thing, you know? And there comes Emma, you know? And, and I just remember the bride prepared for me. Oh, what a, what a, what a glorious thing that was. Listen, that's the picture God wants you to have in your mind as the bride makes herself ready and she's adorned in this glorious apparel. What is the apparel? Look in verse eight. This is fascinating, okay? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Ladies, don't don't worry about sewing a dress, okay? Because you're gonna be adorned. I don't know how this is gonna happen. This is kind of cool though. I don't know how it's gonna happen. But you're gonna be adorned with the righteous deeds you did for Jesus as a believer, isn't that awesome? Somehow that's gonna envelop you. That's gonna be seen. It's gonna shine. It's gonna be gloriously radiating and prepared for Jesus. So there's all the church at this glorious. And then notice what the angel says in, in verse nine. He says, write this. Blessed, happy, satisfied is what that word means. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. A party like no other has ever been or ever will be will be that day. And so the thing that that becomes very apparent to me this morning is that there are two suppers, and every one of you will be a part of one of them. True? Peggy Van Dorn will be at one of them. Bob DeWald will be at one of them. Jacob Thompson will be at one of them. Bonnie Castro will be at one of them. Jason Dirks will be at one of them. You'll be, you'll be in one of those two pictures. I don't know about you. I want to be in the first. I want, I want to be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be in that place with that Jesus. Let's trust him. Let's see him for who he is. Let's not trifle with him. Let's take this serious. Let's be who God made us to be. Father, I, I thank you for this picture of Jesus. Jesus excites me, God. <laughs> it's glorious. It's, it's awesome. Um, it's a little scary, uh, really, to be truthful, God. It is. Um, but, but that's okay. That's, that's, that's truth. And, Lord, I, I just pray that you would help us to embrace you for who you are, for who you have revealed yourself clearly to be. God, help us to worship you, both for your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love, and also for, for your holiness and your justice and God just God let us be let's be in the marriage supper of the lamb Father we ask it in Jesus name amen